Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 126. Today we are talking about cultivating a positive singing culture in the music room. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in or out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So before we jump into our highs and lows, Tanya and I want to mention that we are going to be presenting this spring at the Oak Organization of American Kodai Educators National Conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, That conference is March 16th through 19th. We haven't seen the exact schedule, so we don't know what day we'll be presenting yet, but we'll let you all know when we find out. Uh, But we're going to be presenting a session called Bright Ideas for New Performance Traditions, where we're going to talk all about how to create your own music performances in a way that is fun and less stressful and encompasses things you're doing in your classroom rather than a you know stop everything and teach a concert type thing so uh if you are going to oak which you should uh (laughs) come and see us because uh we would love to see you there it's going to be a great conference in jacksonville we're really looking forward to it yes all right so tanya high or low which way are you gonna go well, actually, I'm going to go low. Um, this is just something that happened a few times in the past week that gave me pause, and I'm not exactly sure if I dealt with it correctly. So uh, this past week and the upcoming weeks, our musician of the day is actually going to is a musician of the week. So I'm focusing on Stevie Wonder uh, all week long because, well, it's Stevie Wonder. Wonder. It's Stevie Wonder. And <laughs> also, I really want all the students to be very familiar with this, with his happy birthday song, which was written um, for Dr. Martin Luther King in celebration of Dr. Martin Luther. Well, in trying to convince folks that there should be a national holiday for Martin Luther King Jr., um, Stevie Wonder wrote this song, right? And I did then- not know that history. That's awesome. Oh yeah, so that's why he wrote the song. Was cool. there was there was you know lawmakers, legislators that were trying to. It, it took a long time for yeah. it actually to happen. It wasn't until 1986, wow. and because I was well into high school at that point, and okay. um, I remember when Martin Luther King Day became a national holiday. Anyway, so. I played this on Monday as kids are walking in the room and we hear about it and I tell them brief history about it. And then I do like a little turn and talk, but not about the music, not about CV Wonder specifically, but about what do you know about Martin Luther King Day? Yeah. And now younger students, I understand if they don't have as much context, but from, you know, second, well, and I don't do musician of the day necessarily with the kindergarten first and second grade I do third grade on up so but consistently third fourth and fifth grade um, I was a little shocked that I had uh, students who said he freed slaves Martin Luther King Jr. oh (laughs) Uh, also I learned that they don't teach much about Martin Luther King Jr. like within the curriculum. 
Yeah. So, you know, it was just one of those moments where I'm not sure how much to get into it with third, fourth, and fifth. Of course, I know that they can understand all of these things. And I think that my low is that I let my um, fear of teach of print, not sorry, not principals, not teachers, parents. I let my fear of parents, the imaginary like scenario of parents emailing my principal and not me because that's happened. Um, I'm sure for all of us at one yeah. point or another, another where people don't talk to you, they were like, they go to the, the principal. Um, right. Not a lot, but anyway, that I'm concerned that parents are going to say, wow, this is music class. Why are you taking all this time to talk about civil rights? So I guess I'm, I'm disappointed in myself for not taking a little bit more time to um, just to not be prepared when in front of a bunch of kids who are like, oh yeah, slaves, Martin Luther King Jr. To say, no, hold up. <laughs> Let's talk about just, I should have prepared more. I should have like maybe even had a slide to say, all right, Martin Luther King Jr. was active in these times. And yes, they all knew. Well, he had a speech called I Have a Dream. Well, he had other speeches too. Right. And, you know, so I, I wish I would have ha had found a video that was for kids that explained things succinctly or that I was prepared just to, I guess I, I just didn't anticipate, and I should have, that the kids did not have much knowledge at all about Martin Luther King Jr. Now, that said, I have an opportunity coming up tomorrow because I have a new group of students. Yeah where I can say, all right, here's a tiny bit about Martin Luther King Jr. and his importance and not get into it, into it. Because I, like I said, I should not let fear of that eclipse the importance of saying, all right, music. Yeah, look, here's another instance where music and politics and world events all collide, right? Yeah. Because as you and I have said many times and other people have said too, if you think that teaching is not political, well, I, you're not correct. Right. Teaching is political. Yes, music intersects with the happenings of the world. And I'm not be being very eloquent in my speaking even now of it. But anyway, I was disappointed in myself that I did not foresee that coming and that in the moment I did not do a good job of being succinct and, and uh, all of that. I totally get that. I've been in that exact same position before. So, um, well, why did I not know this, and why was I not? Because we we want to assume, and this is your first year at a new school, and there are times where I have assumed, oh, at this school they likely do take the time to teach X Y Z, and then I have found out, oh, no, not so much. Um, so yeah, I have been in the exact same position this year. I mean, just little things where I'm like, well, you know about the blah blah blah, you know, and right. they're like uh, crickets, you know, so. Yeah. It's it's hard to anticipate every single thing like that, Tanya. I understand that I you're know. disappointed with yourself. I get that feeling, but you can also give yourself some grace. And like you said, the best thing you can do is then go, okay, well, then when I teach this lesson tomorrow, now I'm prepared with this two-minute video on Dr. Martin Luther King's work for kids or whatever it is, you know? So yeah, exactly. Totally get yep. it. Just got to do it. Yeah. What about you? 
All right. Well, I was going to go low too, but mine is more like dry and pedagogical. So <laughs> you want to go there oh. with me? <laughs> Love it. Yes. So, um, you know, one of my favorite days of the year is presenting Tan Titi. I just get so jazzed to present Tan Titi to first graders because it's like their first time latching on to quote unquote, like real notation, you know, like, and they just, there's so many kids who get really excited about it. And it's like, well, I get this. This is music notes, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I've been prepping Tan Titi for what feels like forever. I usually try to get that presented and before winter break, it just didn't happen this year for a variety of reasons. So I got to that point where before winter break where I'm like, well, I could squeeze it in real quick, but we weren't going to have enough practice. And I knew I was going to have to represent it after winter break anyways. So we just did lots of practice. And when we came back from break, we did a few more days of practice and I'm like, all right, it's happening or prepping, excuse me. Now I'm going to present it. And um, with one class went really well, they got it right away. And then on my presentation day, I go right into rhythmic dictation. But what I just gave them were just blank whiteboards. So they they had to themselves visualize where those four beats were. And we were doing four beat rhythmic dictation with Tan Titi. So one class did pretty well. My second class, you know, it's like you do all the same things. You try to anticipate all the same hiccups. But I'd say I had like a third of the class who every time they went to write Titi, they wrote two of them. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I have a question. Yeah. When you do the notation on whiteboards do you have them do some kind of visual that's a representation of the beat because i have them write beat dots above or you could do like lines and here's the each line is a beat and then you write on top i thought of it and in the moment i thought i'm not going to do this and i'm just going to see how it goes <laughs> so it okay. was some some good formative data in that way that like i said the one class we didn't write beat dots whatsoever. And I only had like maybe one or two kids double up the TTs. And class two, I had a lot of them double up the TTs. So that tells me that I need to back up the train. And yeah, if we're doing dictation on a blank whiteboard, I will take the time to have them write beat dots. You know, I do that with older kids, but I didn't want to do it with first grades because I thought spatially they're going to put them too close together and I'm going to spend more time teaching them how to draw these beat dots than I am going to do the well, I just do a dot and then I say measure three fingers and there's I a know. dot and measure three. I know I could have oh. done it should have would have could have yeah it's same thing it's like but in the other hand I'm kind of glad I didn't because that really truly gave me the data that they need that they that class right. needs that scaffold where the other class doesn't so um right. Now I'm about to see class number three. So what do you think? Should I just stick with, I think I'm going to stick with just blank whiteboards and just really well, I have a question. Data. Yeah. Did you first, because when we do Tan TT and we start doing rhythmic dictation in first grade, I'm very deliberate of the very first time that we do any kind of decoding of Tan TT, I give them the giant, well, I say giant, but they're like, you know, the size of your hand, um, foam beats and one side is written ta and the other side is written tt so the very first time we do it in rhythmic dictation we'd use those heartbeats and we do four and so all they have to do is turn it over to say ta or flip it over and the other side is tt and so they don't even have to write anything so that's first so they get used to seeing it and right then, so no i didn't and then popsicle that. sticks and then whiteboards so i no, and i understand what you're saying but 
in my world, when I present something, I want them physically writing it themselves the very first day, because I think that like them physically writing a TT is going to make it concrete in their head what a TT is. Now, I do understand pedagogically, though, that when it comes to manipulatives, because I have all those things and I will use all those things. But on day one, whenever I present something, and this is the same all the way through fifth grade, rhythmic, I have them writing on whiteboards. I don't know why. That's just what's stuck in my head. Yeah, I understand. So, I usually make it a point to within the next, not the day I present, but the next day I want them writing it. Yeah. But the writing it might be just copy exactly what I'm writing. Right. And there's, yeah, well, and that's really what it was. Cause I would say the rhythm, they'd say it back and then I would write it and hold it up. So they really were copying me a lot. Right. Of and I um, make a big, a big deal about like each stick is a sound. Yeah. Well, and I mean, one of my preparation activities right before I present is always one of the last things I do to see if they're ready is rhythmic dictation on like a beat chart with manipulatives. So I have like, um, what are they called? Pipe cleaners. And right. I have a set that has long pipe cleaners and then a bunch of little short pipe cleaners. So yes. they write long, long, one long. And when it's short, they write two short ones. So like we're very intentional about two short sounds on one beat, two short sounds. So they are physically doing that. And that's when I'm like, okay, cool. They're ready for it. <laughs> So anyways, I know it's a common mistake. I know it's fixable. What I just think is interesting is how one class totally got it and the other class didn't. So it's like, well, not did it because a lot of them did, but there were just a lot of them who didn't. So I'm just, I, it makes me wonder, did I say, have a misstep? Did I say something? Or is it just this class? You know, sometimes you just get a, a funky class. So anyways, just all interesting uh, formative data. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then it also go goes back to, you got to, Teach those kids who are in front of you, no matter what in your brain is the pedagogical sequence. Exactly. If they're not, if they're missing something for whatever reason, then you got to like, you yeah. know, back yeah. up the train. So that class, yep, we're going to go back and do lots of things about emphasizing the beat and where those things go on the beat. Nice. Now it's time for our main theme, and we are talking about cultivating a positive singing culture in your music classroom. And a lot of this is, I'm sure, things that people already do. But, you know, we do hear or, you know, around about people who are saying, my kids won't sing, my kids don't like to sing, singing is not something that the kids are buying into, and how do we get everybody singing? So... There's lots of lots of things that we want to discuss about creating a singing culture. And it needs to be said that in a Kodai-inspired classroom, that is definitely an emphasis, is that our first instrument is our voice. We sing. We sing, we sing, we sing, we sing. So that being said, big tip is sing every day. The more that kids are used to singing in your music class, they walk in and they just go, oh, hey we're in music, we sing. So at the very beginning of class, kids walking in singing is always a lovely thing to have, especially when they're younger. 
Um, and then as you are at a school more than a year, then it's very, it's lovely to see that the kids that were in second grade last year who were used to singing every day, now they're third graders and hey, it's music, we sing. And so as they go through your program, by the time they're in fifth grade, yes, of course, there's a little bit of self-consciousness because developmentally that's where they are, but it's not that hard to push through and get them singing. Yeah. Can I add to, I mean, yeah, like you, I've definitely heard teachers who say, well, my kids can't sing and my kids can't sing. And I've often heard teachers who teach in title one settings say, well, these kids won't sing. And it drives me bananas <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I think if we know anything through our work of culturally responsive teaching, we know that so many of these collectivist cultures throughout the year or throughout the world, excuse me, um, are singing cultures. Now they mm -hmm. might not be cultures where music literacy is necessarily promoted. Well, define music tradition. literacy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So this is what I'm saying. Like, is your concept of singing kids sit down and open up whatever music series and turn to page five and sing the song on the page? Well, no, maybe kids won't be jazzed about that. But if your concept of singing is teaching students orally while playing a game or a movement or something like that, and it's more, you know, call and response and those kind of things, that is something that people do all throughout the world in so many cultures, uh, even right. more so than our own. So Yes, and we could talk about work songs. We could talk about songs for celebration. We could talk about holidays and music that goes along with this. And, and back to that idea of, of, you know, this is a community driven thing. And it's not just isolated in some cultures they sing and in other cultures we don't. Now people sing, sing, sing. I mean, we're not high school musical. We're not like bursting. Well, some of us are, but you know, <laughs> it's uh it's something that is innate in all humans is to be musical, right? And yeah. sing, sing, sing. So you do have to be intentional about it's music. We sing. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, as Kodai inspired teachers, we, we very much believe that singing is the child's first instrument. We want to sing first before we apply those musical concepts to external things like instruments. Um, you know, but even if you are not considered a Kodai inspired teacher or haven't had that training, you know, that doesn't mean to say that singing can't be an integral part of your classroom, even if you yourself were not a vocal major. Um, sometimes I hear that from elementary music teachers like, well, I was in a vocal major, so I don't feel comfortable singing. Um, I think my my advice to those teachers is you just got to get over it because yeah, I was going to say that I, gonna, I don't want to be harsh, but um, yeah, get, get over, over that. <laughs> or I'll find a secondary it. band position or orchestra right. position because yeah. if if you don't see the value in in kids using their first instrument, then um, maybe you're in the wrong spot. Right. And the yeah. other thing, too, worth mentioning is, you know, singing needs to be a part of the elementary class every single day, even when you're doing other quote unquote units. So if you're doing a recorder unit or if you're doing instruments of the orchestra, there still needs to be singing as a part of that, whether it's mm -hmm. just a little brief moment in the warm up or embedded throughout the lesson. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I find that if there is a day where my kids don't come in singing, then they're going to not think that that is just part of the routine of this is just what we do. If singing becomes something extra or if singing becomes like a task that's not just normal, you know, integrated part of the routine, then students won't think of it as 
just a natural thing we do, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And even yeah. When, like you said, when we're doing instruments, I just started recorders with my third graders and we still have sung every single day in our first five days of recorders because, all right, we're working on this song and we're going to sing the rhythm of this song. Now we're going to sing the letters of this song. Now we're going to sing the solfege of this song. Now we're going to sing while we finger. I mean, there's just so many ways that it can be not an add-on, like you said, but in service of that whole music literacy, because I also believe that instrumentalists should be able to sing their part. Right. I mean, unless it's 100%. crazy, full of crazy rhythms and stuff, instruments, instrument players would benefit from being able to sing. Because if you can sing it, that means you can audiate you. It's in your head. Yeah. Right. And an instrument is just that it is an instrument to demonstrate your musicianship. It's not the actual, like, you, you should be able to be musical with your body. Yeah. First. Yeah. Now you so, mentioned um, yeah. walking in the door singing is kind of like a, a warm up routine. What are some other like warm up routine things that you've used other than just singing when you walk in the door? Um, yeah. Well, um, I have used roll call. So I'll have kids singing as they walk in and then we just have a quick roll call. I do. And I got this. Oh my goodness. Who did I got to get this from? Um, it's slipping my mind right now, but we do a roll call, which I call toast. It's really dorky. And I say, okay, we're pieces of toast. Let's get down in the toaster. And they all vocally, as they scoot down to a squatting position, they go, or down. And I'll say, Carrie, pop up. And Carrie goes, I pop up. Um, Tyler, pop up. I pop up whatever. And I really do in my grade book in Idokio, I quickly jot down who's singing in tune, who's flat, who's sharp, and who's not using a singing voice at all. Mm -hmm. And at this part point in the year, I don't have, I don't think I've had, like I'm thinking about last week, I don't think I have any that are not using a singing voice. And, you know, especially since it was right after we're in January and, and since we had some time off, most of them are um, flat. They're not really getting their voice up there, but um, they're all using a singing voice. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I keep that going and I try to make it for kindergartners doing the toast, even first grade, they, they like popping up. And as we go along, we, instead of saying, I pop up, I could say, oh, you can tell me if you're a pop tart or a bagel, right? It's silly. And then I'm a Pop-Tart. Nice. Right? So along in that same realm, I know that Fire Robin, um, if you do any Fire Robin training courses, John Fire Robin, then there's a concept called Arioso, which is where you are in the land of singing. And so I haven't done this consistently, but I've, t I've done it here and there and it's for kindergarten and you could bring it definitely into other young grades where you say we're going to the land of arioso or actually you would say we're going to the land of arioso everything that's said in arioso must be sung someone tell me the best thing that happened this weekend and then you know ideally a little kid will will go and and be improvising a simple little melody while they tell you about how their dog threw up and whatever yeah yeah uh, yeah. I haven't done a, a ton of Arioso myself, but when, when I have, it's 
It's delightful. It's very sweet. And it I know people is, who- and you actually have to cut them off. And I'm yeah. sorry, I said dog throw up. They don't always say gross things. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, they'll, they'll, they just, it's, it's playful. I know that some teachers make a whole big thing about moving to a different area in the area in the room. That's all cozy. And like, Ooh, now we're in the land of Ariosa. Everybody use your singing voice. Tell me what happened yesterday at lunch. Right. And you sing and they sing. And um, the only thing that I would be, I would have caution in doing this is that you really got to have a structure of, and this is where we stop. Yeah, exactly. It can go on forever. Yep. What about you, Carrie? What are other things that Uh you would do on a daily basis? Yeah. So I know there are different schools of thought on this. Um, I do. I'm a big fan of hello songs um, that starting with a consistent hello song. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the same one for the entire year, but it could be the same one for a month or two. Um, I think, you know, again, especially working in highly impacted communities, students um, who really thrive on that consistency piece, when they hear me start singing the hello song, it's like it it, it triggers something that, okay, I'm in this space now and this is what's going to happen. And then I'm a big fan of taking whatever hello song we do at the beginning and then sing it as a goodbye at the end, because that also signifies that now it's we're, we're, we're about to transition into line rather than just, okay, we're done, let's go line up. You know, it yeah. kind of gives that nice bridge in and out of the classroom. Um, so yeah, singing singing hello songs and goodbye songs is something that is definitely a part of my routine, especially for younger students. Um, for older students, um, I'm really big fan of just starting with a lovely a lovely piece that we kind of build up. Um, with fifth grade, I kind of do like a a canon of the month, so to speak. So right now in fifth grade, we're working on the Dona Nobis Pachem canon. So like oh, each nice. day they come in, I, I've taught them part one, and I taught them the second part, third part, and the next time I see them, we're gonna start layering them together. And, um, you know, if it's just a beautiful classic piece of literature, my fifth graders just love it. And, you know, I was hesitant because this is my first year at this school and the teacher who was before me did build a lovely singing culture, but we also know we're coming out of COVID where a lot of things were put on pause. And she was very honest that singing hasn't been as big of an emphasis in the last couple of years, of course, for all of us. So she did say fifth grade, especially, but my fifth graders are singing so beautifully. Even my principal, when she came in to observe was like, oh my gosh, these fifth graders sound fantastic. So um, I think they just truly love it. Again, if you can find some beautiful literature and we'll talk literature in a minute. So um, yeah, just finding a really lovely piece to start on that doesn't necessarily have a a game that goes with it. It's just a beautiful piece to sing just for singing's sake. Um, And they're latching onto it. So that's exciting for me. Yes. And that said, you said it doesn't necessarily have a game with it. And um, if you do want to make sure singing is happening and you connect it with a game for more reluctant, reluctant, excuse me, reluctant singers, then a game does make that singing more palatable, more, less focus on I'm standing here, I'm singing, I'm thinking about how I'm singing when we're moving, when we're playing a game, when we're looking to see who's it and we're singing at the same time, that is a lovely, natural, organic thing that should be happening in your classroom. And if they've done that in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, that yeah, by the time that they are in fourth grade and fifth grade, the whole let's stand here and sing this song all together is definitely going to be an easier sell 
for them. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Um, I get to, I, I want to say this because, you know, I say this all the time and so do you. And so does do many people, but it is very, very important that we sing for the students, not with the students. Oh man, this is a big, big, big deal. And I was very intentional when I did my Kodai training. I made that a goal. That was like my number one goal after my level one is I am going to make sure I do not sing with the kids because I know that if I'm singing all that time that they will not, right? My voice is going to cover them up. They're going to go, why do I need to sing? This lady's taking it and singing. Yes, I consider myself a singer. Yes, I love to sing. It just feels good. It sounds good. I sing all the time, but I would deliberately put my hand over my mouth when it was their turn, not my turn, right? And from time to time, I still find my, like, ooh, I love this song and I just burst it, you know, I just sing and I stop myself. Yeah. And I've been very intentional of my turn and now you. Right. I'm still working on it, Tanya. I, I've said this many times in this podcast. I'm still working on it. It is a hard habit to break once you get into the habit of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I'm doing it. I hear myself doing it and then I stop. And also, I mean, to add on to what you said, the kids won't sing or they're singing, but they're not singing tunefully because you're carrying the pitch. You're carrying the melody. A second I stop singing, all of a sudden I hear them singing, you know way down yonder in the paw paw patch. I'm like, oh, right. this is a problem. But if I intentionally stop singing and it's like, oh, where's where's the song? Where's the melody? Then, you know, it starts to slip back in. So that's that's right. good. Well, and you will see there there will be those handful of students or maybe it was, it's just one student who will chime in and be in tune. Like, that's a lovely thing. It's scary for like a solid three or four seconds because uh-huh. you're like, oh, no, where'd the song go? But yeah. then a kid goes, wait a minute, the song and we'll sing. Right. And then others will join in. And so this is just this is a non-negotiable. You got to have the kids singing. And so oh. I. I've had moments where like, oh, there's no song and kids, the song and the game, they go together. So if there's no song, there's no game. Let's move on to this other thing. We'll come back later. Yeah. I also want to mention too, for those pianists out there, same goes with piano. If you're constantly clunking on the piano along with the kids to help them stay in tune or help them stay with the beat or whatever it is, if you're accompanying them, um, then you're giving them that crutch. So there are times where I love to, to boom chuck along with the kids while they're doing a singing game or, you know, there's times when you play a lovely accompaniment, especially building up a concert piece. But more times than not, my students are singing acapella. So I just wanted to mention that um you know again if you're if you're a pianist and you're trained that way that's going to be your go-to you're going to want to go over and start plunking the melody on that piano but make the kids do it make them sing the melody and if you want to accompany them that's different than you playing the melody for them yes and like you said the emphasis here is because that's how they're going to develop their in-tune singing because they need to hear themselves because they need to um they need to do it independently and it needs to be about them Um, this year. And I've said this before, I've been making videos of my students uh, singing or playing a game or doing something musical from the music classroom. And then they put it on the school news 
the, it's like a minute video. And I've, my goal has been every single class is going to be on mountain lion news sometime during the school year. Well, um, my secondary, when I make the video, my secondary goal is no Miss Lejeune. Mm -hmm. So a kid introduces it. I'm not on video because I'm, you know, holding the camera, holding the iPad or whatever. And it's no, none of me, none of my voice, if at all possible. And there's been little times where I have to like, just get them, get them going. I was going to say, how do you start? How do they start if you don't give them a starting pitch or whatever? Well, I will start, you know, I'll start the very beginning. Um, I know a little, and that's it. I'm out. Yeah. And then they take it from there. Right. So yeah, we want to make sure. Now, also that being said, make sure that you are in a developmentally appropriate range for the students, not for you. And so this also goes along with, you want to make sure you're singing less. Well, it just so happens that where the student's singing voice is, is going to be higher probably than you would naturally sing. Yes. So (laughs) key of C, not an awesome key to sing in, not at all. You know, the key of D is great when you're so me lying, mm-hmm. but if you're me Ray doing, I would be taking it up to F. Yes. You know, uh, F above middle C as your dough. That's like a sweet spot. Um, I, I do a lot of things in the key of F. I will even, if we're doing me Ray dough exclusively, um, G is good too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and if- you just have to be aware, you know, I mean, Boomwhackers are a great invention. I love boomwhackers. I use them in my classroom. However, yes, and <laughs> having boomwhackers be an extension of a song we're singing is not an, a thing I do often because that means we're in the key of C, right? I enjoy doing boomwhackers with those musication videos. I enjoy doing boomwhackers as a station. So if kids are playing a melody on boomwhackers but not necessarily singing it, I'm fine with that. But if we're singing Apple Tree and then now we want to play it on the boomwhackers in the same key, that means we're singing in the key of C as second graders and that is too low. Um, Get yourself some accidentals. Yeah. The one exception to that rule is I do like to use the boomwhackers to introduce the idea of a tonic chord in second grade. So there might be like one lesson where we're playing do, me, and so, you know, red, yellow, turquoise on the boomwhackers as an accompaniment to one of the songs we're singing. And we talk about why those three pitches sound good together. But that's just one lesson. That's just one moment. In another day, I'm going to get out the ORF instruments and I'm going to pitch them in the key of F and have FAC. And that's our tonic chord. So yeah, I mean, just movable dough exists for this very reason. (laughs) I mean, as far as like being able to pitch things correctly within the child's singing voice. And yeah, like Tanya said, we are big proponents of C is generally way too low of a key um it's very rare my students are singing in c do until they get a little older by by fourth and fifth grade we can sing in c do and sometimes you might need to do that if you're including high do in full scale songs Um, well and i i uh, talking about the orf instruments this is something i've been thinking about for quite a long time because if you have less orf instruments orf instruments are in the key of c unless you add those accidentals so i right now i have 
plenty of ORF instruments that I can give every kid an ORF instrument, like, mm-hmm. and nobody else is on that instrument. But when I was at my other school, I would always want to have two kids on one ORF instrument. And I feel like because it's in the, because the instrument is set up in the key of C, it's forcing me into the key of C because then I will have enough bars for everybody. Right. right. And it's frustrating that logistics force me to do something that's pedagogically not the best fit, right? Well, so unless you're just is, sticking with the pentatone, because if you're sticking with the pentatone, then you've got C, you've got F, and you've got G. So those this are all is, yes, yes. But if you're going to be exploring and if you're really going to be pointing out relationships between do, me, and so, this is not where we want to be. If we're singing it and we're playing it, I've I've said for years, and I know this is goofy, but I really wish they made ORF instruments that were in the key of D. Yes, I get it that you could like get ac- in accidentals and set them up, but that's a chore. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we had ORF instruments that were just set up that way, right? Yeah. Or in the key of F. Remember when know- we taught Music Garden, the barred instruments were set up starting on D? The yeah, music, the ones that Music Garden creates, they start on D for that very reason. I mean, D is still a little low, but it's better than C. Um, yeah, that was one thing I very much appreciate about Music Garden. And I don't know any other, you know, music curriculum or whatever that that thinks that way. But yeah, well, and, and then, then again, yeah. that's the beauty of acapella singing. I mean, not that we don't use orf instruments, we love to use them. But if you're starting with acapella singing, then you can sing on any old pitch you want to start on. Exactly. It. And if you're not using clefs, and that's what you learn in your Kodai levels is that we do not start showing treble clefs, bass clefs, any clefs. If you're just using a staff, and then you're using a doe clef the doe can be anywhere and yep. this is not yep. dictating absolute pitch and so again when it comes to what's the difference between an or philosophy and a kodai philosophy this is one of the things that i would point out orf instruments are used in my kodai inspired classroom but they're not my bread and butter sing yeah. comes first they're an extension of the singing yeah yes Exactly. Let's talk about some other things we do to to intentionally develop the voice. So, you know, thinking about your melodic sequence, your pitch, your tone set is definitely one of them. Um, let's talk about vocal exploration for a moment. Oh, yes. So, let's talk. Yeah. Vocal so, exploration does not have to be fancy. I no. know there's lovely graphics and visuals on TPT that you can buy where you're following your voice with the snowball. You know what? You could also just get a... a little snowball and throw it in the air and make your voice Uh follow that uh don't have a snowball you could crumple a piece of paper it's not about the manipulatives or the visuals or the props there's a million and one ways you can vocal explore i'm a big fan and and this came from my level one teacher joe kirk of using that slide whistle where you're having kids imitate what you're playing on the slide whistle And then the next day, guess what? My slide whistle is an imaginary slide whistle. So now I'm using my voice and I'm just showing the slide whistle and then the kids are echoing me. Um, The reason that we do all this vocal exploration where they're doing sirens, where they're exploring hi, is that it's like a warm up. You don't know what you can do with your voice until you've explored where it can go. And you need your voice it's just like any muscle before you hit the the trail and start running you walk you walk a little faster 
maybe you stretch in the beginning or I, I can never keep track. Are we now stretching at the beginning or the end? But it I doesn't matter. As singers, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Right. If you're part of a choir, if you're part of any kind of vocal ensemble, you warm up your voice before you jump into the repertoire, right? So yeah. we want to make sure the kids explore their voice and know that it can go. If you don't know, you can, then, then you're not going to go there singing wise. Can I ask a question? Can I put you on the spot? Because this is something okay. that I want to get better at. Do you do a lot of vocal exploration with older kids? Because I think we can all easily incorporate it into younger students. Do you find that you use it with older kids um, just as needed or um, you is know, it a I don't do part of your everyday? With older kids, I don't intentionally write it in my plans that they walk in, we have the vocal exploration, and then we jump into literature. I do warm them up. If we're going to like seriously dig in to singing, I will just have them do, you know, a five note descending pattern on Sofa Mi Re Do. But I do a lot more as far as vocal expiration in the moment. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like my, my choir and how um, we're singing a piece a cappella, and they're not getting the higher notes of whatever piece it is. Then I'll stop and I'll say, okay, everybody grab some snow, pack a snowball. And now we're going to pitch that snowball or baseball or fill in the blank. Yeah. And you're going to follow it with your voice. Right. So I do a lot more in the moment vocal exploration when it's needed with older kids. Yeah, me too. I do know some elementary music teachers who do like kind of traditional choral warm ups with their older kids, you know, at every single music class. And, you know, for my me, my hesitation is always like, oh, time. I just want to get right to the thing. But um, I'm really starting to rethink that. And I think this is something I want to start including more is more intentional vocal exploration and warm ups in my older kid classes before just jumping into a song. I kind of treat oh. the song as the warm up, you know. But like I said, if I'm doing Don't Anobi, Pacham as my opening song with fifth graders, they probably need a little something before they sing that. Yeah, That's a challenging yeah. Song, you know, so. the thing is, like we've said before, you might be over it, like vocal explorations, but yeah. they are tickled. Like yeah. when you pull out, like, my mother made me mash my M&Ms. They're like, ooh, hee, hee, hee. you know, yeah. it's, it's new to them. And so, yeah, taking just a couple of minutes to do some of those things, it might be like, eh, I've done this so much, I'm tired right. of it for me. But for them, this is the novelty of doing a new vocal warm up yeah. and not running yeah. it into the ground is that's fun. It probably also depends on the time of day you see them. Because I think about like when my choir comes to me at 745, we definitely do some warm-ups because they haven't done much talking, definitely not singing by that point. By the time I see my fifth graders on a normal day, it's nine o'clock. So they've been talking, they've been using their voice. So it's not quite as obvious, you know what I mean? Yeah. But still, it's worth, obviously, we know vocal pedagogy, it's worth taking the time to do. So something definitely. I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, something else that, you know, we should also talk about is the importance of kids doing things alone, aka solo, oh, yes. so they can yeah. really hear themselves and really hear how their voice sounds alone. Um, again, different schools of thought on this, and I've played with different philosophies of this in, in my, my own career. Um, 
as, as talking about little kids and doing solos, I mean, that's easier because they're, they're always willing to just do, I mean, I would say not always, a lot of times willing to do a little solo, especially if it's part of a game. So, you know, a classic mm -hmm. example of this would be, you know, doggy, doggy, where's your bone? You know, someone gets to go steal the bone and sing, I yeah. stole the bone. Yeah. So anytime the solo can be a part of a game or you're using a prop or a puppet or something like that, your younger students are definitely um, going to latch on to that well. Yes. I've had the philosophy with older kids, especially if I'm walking into a new school, where I don't force them to sing solos as a part of our music class routine. Um, and I tell them this, I say, I'm not going to ask you to sing a solo. There are times I might ask you to sing in a small ensemble because I need to hear your voice and I need to grade you. But I'm not going to force you to sing a solo that's going to be volunteer only because I'm trying to build trust with the students and I'm trying yeah. to build that positive singing culture. However, if you've been at a school long enough and you've built up that positive singing culture, maybe you are in a position where you can expect solos to happen at every grade level. What, what's kind of your take on that right now, Tanya? I agree. Um, I do not make it a part of, hey, older kids, here we are, and I'm not going to necessarily make you sing solos. I kind of just go in with the idea of everyone will do it. And then the first time we do any kind of solo thing, and that's usually something where we're in a circle and we're maybe doing like a category challenge. Um, and I just see what happens. And then if I do have reluctance, if I have kids that um, really show that they are not going to do it, I just don't push, mm -hmm. but I don't give lip service to, um, I'm not going to make you sing a solo. I just, I just kind of see what happens. And then one-on-one, -on -one, like one-on-one, -on -one, I might talk and say, you know what? You don't have to do it. I won't make you do this. I just don't want to set up that, that that could be an option because what I've had happen in the past is that I've said that. And then I, when I were doing solos, say around a circle, the second or third kid decides they're not going to do it. And then other kids go, that kid's not doing it. I'm not doing it either. It's like this whole creator culture of fill in the blank. So if I, if I pick wrong as far as who starts the solo singing game, and then other kids see that and also say, I have made the choice to not, because now five kids have done it where they're not going to do it. I don't want to create an atmosphere or a culture of, we don't have to do this thing. Yeah. It's tricky. It's knowing the students. It is. And yeah. I really err on the side of, I don't ask for solos first thing at the very beginning of the year. I try to build that relationship, do some one-on-one -on -one talking to kids, make sure I know their name, make sure I know where they're at, and then bring in the solo singing. Mm -hmm. So I just wait. But of course, I've never had a kid who was like, adamant about not singing that I forced to sing and is in therapy now. Right. As far as I know. Um, so yeah, I kind of like just, I, it depends on the students. I kind of see where that goes with the class. And when I do some kind of solo singing where everyone's singing a solo, I work really hard to make sure that the first two to five to six kids are kids who are going to be game because that can really set the stage. Totally. If, you know, your 13th, 14th kid is like, I'm not so sure about this. But then all the, you know, the first handful of kids do it. Then they're like, well, 
you know what? It's okay. Cause Tyler did it and Margaret did it. And so-and-so. So that is so, and that's all about that age group and yeah. where they're at. Yeah. And I know I've said this before again, but I just love it when I have a new student come in like mid-year, come into fifth grade. Right. And we're doing, we're, we're singing or we're doing a solo singing game or we're doing something. And you see that kid look around like, what's going on? What? <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah. And they, and then you get like a little bit of time where they're just like, everyone's singing yeah. and then they just get it. They go with it. Yeah. I, I love that moment where the kid goes, ah, shrug. Yeah. I guess that's what we do here. And then no they pressure. do it. So creating that, like we said, for this title of this podcast, creating and cultivating that culture of singing yeah, makes a huge difference. Yeah. I want to yeah. add too, when it comes to singing, um, solo singing and things like that for older kids, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, intrinsic motivation. Kids should want to do things because it makes them feel good and they know it's the right thing and blah, 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 blah. But I, I'm a big fan of when it comes to singing, stepping up and doing solos, um, giving them some sort of external reward. So like in my last school, we had class dojo and I asked the teachers if I could have permission to add a positive comment specifically great singing in music class <laughs> yeah and i made it worth like three points compared to one like really good you know and i talked to the teacher about it ahead of time you know so if a kid was singing a solo or, or even just singing within the group but really being a leader i would point it out give some points for that because you know it's just something that students i feel like need that little extra bit of encouragement to feel brave to feel confident to feel appreciative appreciated that they're taking on that leadership role um you know i didn't do a lot of that kind of motivation for every other thing we did. It wasn't like, oh, hey, great job playing the sticks today. It was like, no, singing is like really a special thing. It's something that we all do. But when you really step up and become a leader, I want to reward you for that. So and that's um, wonderful, because that's really encouraging to those kids. Um, and I would also if anybody is has a has a, a class, a group, and they're like, these kids are really anti singing. I would say, for your first aid kit for reluctant singers, I would say that's definitely what do they value? What's something that they would work for and just start plugging away at that and making it a big deal. And I remember one year, and this is back when I had sixth graders and um, I was rewarding kids who were singing. And one of the kids said, wait a minute, why don't I get that fill in the blank ticket. I'm like, well, they sang. And they're like, hey, you're favoring people who are, are singing. I'm like, yes, I yes. I was very, <laughs> you know, you're sixth graders. Yes, you're right. It's music. And yeah, they do. They get that ticket. They sang and they put themselves out there. Yeah. And I don't say, and you didn't, but like, yeah, right. you're right. That happened. What yeah. you going to do about it? Yeah. Next time I'd love to hear you step up and be a leader. And right. And again, like if you're, it's a balance. If you're making someone cry. Yeah. Back off, of course. Um, but you, you just need to know your students and connect with the students and know how far you can push them. But you do. It's back to that warm demander idea, warm demander idea yeah. of, you do want to demand that this is the demand demand start part. with the expectation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we should talk a little bit about, well, I want to go back to the solo opportunities through grant games yeah. and give ourselves a plug because personally, one of my very favorite things to present on and go to Kodai chapters and do workshops is about 
singing games, reluctant singers, older beginner singers. And yeah. I have like a, a workshop called how can I keep them singing? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's just so much, there's a plethora of wonderful singing games and activities that you can really put into your classroom procedures and routines that will get kids excited about singing. So, you know, if you want those details, I would suggest contact <laughs> Carrie and I, uh, we would love to come and, you know, give a big details of all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But part work. Let's talk about part work. Let's just give a brief mention of part work. Yeah. I mean, I I think this just goes along with this idea of it just feels good. It sounds good. The second you add something, be it an ostinato, a canon, simple harmonies, you know, um, and singing. I'm not necessarily talking about instruments, although that could apply to that too, but singing the part work or even if it's a speech thing kids just love it you see them just like light up they get so excited i know so, and they'll um, say wait we're making music i mean I we know, always right? were kid but yes we are making yeah. music yeah it's really if if it's done well and this is where i want to say and you really want to think about your sequence of part work you don't want to start asking your kindergartners to sing a canon because guess what it's not going to go so well and then no. yeah that ruins the whole point so i just want to refer to our own episode just a few ago episode 124 really no, that can't be right. I'll have to check that number again. Yeah. Um, so not that long ago, we did a podcast episode about part work. work 123. It was 123. It wasn't that long ago. Um, episode 123. So we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. And it's really about being intentional with your sequence of part work and finding good pieces that that um, bring that out. So just another way to, to get kids, especially older kids, jazzed. When we start singing in, in parts, the kids really do enjoy it if it's done well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Tanya, about just bringing in that positive culture? Um, you know, we, we've said all the things, just do it, sing, 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 sing in the right range, make it fun, make it awesome. They'll love it. Sing, sing, sing. Yep. Don't be afraid. Do it. So now it is time for our Know Better, Do Better segment, where we talk about a change of practice, a change of literature, a change of thinking, something we're just thinking about differently to know better and do better. So Tanya, what would you like to talk about? Well, this is very simple. Earlier in this episode, I talked about how I did not talk about Martin Luther King Jr. succinctly and you know give information to students because they did not have as much information as I thought. And so now I have three video recommendations. Um, one is for slightly younger kids. Kid President, we love oh, Kid so President, uh, made a little more than three minute video about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Love that because it's coming from Kid President, a black kid. Yeah. should be telling yeah. us about that. There is a couple of cartoon videos and all of these can be found in our show notes, by the way. Uh, one called Legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from Brain Pop, uh, which is about six minutes long. That's good. My one little caveat is it is delivered by a white guy. I mean, in the cartoon. Right. Right. And then there's another one called Fun Video on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is also around six minutes. 
but delivered by a black man. And I really do think that that makes a difference. I will be using the kid president one and the fun video on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Kid president doesn't go into as much details about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. The fun video on Dr. Martin Luther King does give some specific information about um, what happened in his life and, uh, you know, specific laws and the touches briefly on the assassination because let's face it whenever you talk about anybody in history with the students they want to know how did he die i always say that we want to focus on what somebody did in their life rather than how they died but you know it just addresses it very quickly on any of these all of these videos so those are some three short videos that you could show when you're talking about dr martin luther king Awesome. Thanks. Now it's time for our work smarter, not harder teacher tip. Carrie, how are we going to work smarter? This is so silly. And maybe you already do this, but I want to always about, say that. Just do it. I, know. I want to talk about crayons. So Crayons? <laughs> crayons. Let's talk about crayons. There are times where students are going to use crayons in my music class for different activities. And um, I have my crayons organized by color, meaning not like all the red crayons together, although I can't do that. But um, what I found on Amazon, and I will try to find the exact ones and link to them if I can find the exact ones, but um, I found a pack of six crayon boxes, but each box is a different color. So there's a red box, an orange box, and guess what? They match my rows as far as my sit spots go. So anytime we do coloring, the red row share one big, because it's a fairly big box of crayons they share one box of crayons and they use the red box and those kids in the orange row use the orange box and they sit around a little circle and they share that box of crayons because i'm not going to have enough crayons that every kid has their very own box that's just not that important to me okay wait a minute i just got to clear something up oh, so when sorry. you say red box of crayons you don't mean that all the crayons are red no 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 no, no. box is red the box is red and it holds probably you know like you a may only color in red yeah no, 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 no. no other colors for you no, the whole point is just, you know, it's a way to quickly get them grouped up to use one box of crayons is that, you know, if you're if you're doing the sit spot thing or any sort of color coding, coding, you know, seating arrangement, having your supply boxes match that color where they sit. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying this very well. Yes. It's so yes. simple. It's hard to explain. Um, I have seen other teachers and I toyed with this idea who have like a caddy. So like, you know, those little art caddies where you can put in crayons, markers, scissors, the whole thing and have one caddy for each yes. row of your classroom. My issue with the caddies is I don't have anywhere to put them. Like I, I don't have a lot of good real estate as far as like tabletop space. But what I can do is have boxes of crayons that stack inside of a closet you know what I mean so now, for, are these boxes cardboard no mine are good heavy-duty plastic and oh okay and that's really also the other thing I want to recommend is investing in a good 
box to hold your crayons because then they're going to last longer obviously too yeah. but these ones open and close really easily and then the one thing i don't love about this particular set is that the orange and the yellow are pretty similar in color so i have to say orange group these are your crayons yellow group these are your crayons but other than that it's it's a, it's been working really well it's a good system that you know there's no arguing over which box of crayons they're going to go sit at for this activity they just know if they're in the red group they sit here and it just solves all problems so and you're going to give us a link to these awesome boxes I'm right i'm going to try to find the exact same ones in my takes and digging because it's been a while since i bought them but um i'm sure i'll find something and i'll also link to the idea of the caddies too um and if i can find a specific music teacher i can't think of who it was off the top of my head i think there's more than one that have used the caddies i'll link to that too because they're very cute i like the idea of the caddies you could even have like a caddy that has all the whiteboards and whiteboard markers for that particular row so instead of having them all in one massive place and everyone goes to get them, you've got them kind of spread out depending on their color row or whatever. So that just different yeah. ways to organize your materials um, and finding what works well for you. But the cram boxes in particular have worked well for me. So now it is time for the CODA section where we each give a recommendation of something we are enjoying. Tanya, what are you enjoying? Okay, well, I'm actually going to be talking about something I've been using with my littles, my kindergartners and first graders, because this year being my first year at the school, uh, I'm doing a lot of things with first grade and kindergarten because my thinking is, well, they didn't have me in kindergarten. So we didn't, they didn't get to do this awesome thing. So got to do it in first grade too. Right. Yeah. And actually this is one I've been taking kindergarten and first and second. I've been taking it into all three of those grades because it's a lovely song. It's a lovely book. It's called chicken soup with rice by Marie Sindak lyrics by Carol King music by Carol King. This happened many years ago, these sets of songs and books. Uh, they're part of what's called a nutshell library from Marie Sindak. So there's chicken soup with rice. There's A is for alligator. There's these tiny little books that come in a set. Now the books are really tiny. At my other school, when I would do the song chicken soup with rice with the book, there's a kindergarten teacher at my other school had had this lovely big book, oh. you know, those big books. So I would use that and I do sing the song, of course, but I mean, Carol King, you got to have Carol King singing the song. And I would just flip the big pages on my big book. Now this year, I honestly almost contacted my kindergarten, the kindergarten teacher at the other school and said, can I borrow your book? And I thought, you know what? Um, YouTube, Tanya, there's YouTube now. And I did find a great video of the book with the song Chicken Soup with Rice. There's a link in our show notes. Um, and then and there's also an animated video of Chicken Soup with Rice with Maurice Sindak's um, kids like moving around and, you know, I mean, it's animated, but yeah. it's the same illustrations. And I always tell kids, you know, this is the same author who did Where the Wild Things Are. Um, and it's just such a lovely, I don't know why. I, well, I always do this song in January because it's like a calendar song about okay. the months and what happened. Do you know Chicken Soup with Rice? I, I do. I've never taught it. I know I've heard it, but. And I don't really like formally teach it. Yeah, no. I've done it for a program, but I don't make like, and now we will memorize all the words because it's a lengthy song. It's 12 yeah. months, but it's just a fun 
very end of the class, like instead of me reading a book directly to them, this is chicken soup with rice, you know, with the video. So two videos, one with just the pages and the song, one with animation of those illustrations and the song. Chicken soup with rice. Nice. And you, Carrie, what awesome thing are you going to well, share? Well, as you know, Tanya, you were so sweet to buy me tickets to go see Mean Girls here. In well, Denver. me and you. So, well, you know, yeah, I us tickets. Too. That was a birthday present, but we finally got to go over winter break. And yeah. that was really fun and really delightful. Awesome show. Thank you so much for that. But of then course. in the program, they're advertising next year's musicals. And I i don't buy subscription packets because let's face it, teacher salaries. I just, that's not something that's a priority, but I love to go to a show when I can. And one of the shows that's coming next year is the musical six. And I know I've heard of it, but I really hadn't heard the music and i mean i knew what the story was about but like the whole setup of how it how it goes and everything anyways so i just started to do some digging and i just started listening to the soundtrack and watching some things on youtube and you know just like checking out what is this musical all about who are the composers whose names i don't know off the top of my head of course but easy to google but um anyways it's a delightful show it's it's rather short it's just a one act musical oh I really think. i didn't know yeah because it was originally written to kind of be more like a like a concert or like a concept kind of album i think but anyway all that to say it's it's a short musical comparatively no no intermission just one act and the music is still fun because each of the wives the six wives of henry the eighth are you know kind of modeled after a pop star um or a mesh of pop stars so you've got the first queen who's kind of like beyonce and then later on you've got a queen that could either be Ariana Grande or Britney Spears or some sort of combination of those two. So it's like they kind of each take on the stylistic characteristics and musically of a pop star. But then you also have the history built in. And it's just, it's a fun show. So I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot. And um, particularly the, the Broadway cast because their soundtrack is um, a live recording from opening night and that's what's on spotify you can hear like the original cast like studio recording from i think it's west end um you know cast from london but um so there's different versions of it out there but i enjoy the live recording from broadway because it's kind of fun to hear the the live recording and the, you know the story was they were set to open opening night on broadway and that's when broadway shut down in 2020 mm, like literally yeah. that day so like they had to wait then you know two years before they got to perform this opening night so what a cool you know added historical context to it for that broadway cast so anyways it's just it's a fun musical i kind of think i want to go see it now, but I'm um, just enjoying this. I love listening to Broadway cast recordings in general, and this is just a fun one to add to my rotation. I'll go see it with you. Okay, cool. <laughs> We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy music theme.